0: Well, welcome to some Derp's Talk about an eclectic variety of media. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about an award-winning Broadway play uh, in movie form. I am, of course, talking about 1776, also <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> Before we do that, Buddy, watch the folks at home, what it is we do, do on this podcast. I do want to be clear that it is a musical, both of these. Yes, well, actually,
1: yeah. I mean, I... So, okay, I mean, there's a lot of debate on this. Do you know any of this stuff, like sung through
0: and opera? No, I mean, I, I, I of course, like, realized that, like, Hamilton has is all songs, whereas 1776 uh, is, like... Yeah, uh, so
1: there's, there's a term for that, which is called sung through, right? Like, uh, historically, it used to be there are plays, no music, musicals, talking, and then every once in a while you burst into song, and then opera, which is sung all the way through. But then... Like certain musicals just became what like, like what is called sung through, and it's like, well, are they opera now, and then you have like snooty opera people that are like "No, and then you have people like me that are like, "Well, the technical definition of an opera, so yeah, I, mean, I think of Hamilton as an opera, even if most of the world doesn't
0: yeah no my like like if if you were to ask me as as a layman it like if it was an opera, i would be like, no, it's not in italian or in like a foreign language right like mm-hmm. um which is you know probably not like a, a super hard requirement but like that's like what i think of right like uh um and you know it, it just kind of like like if you would ask me straight out i would have called i would have i would call hamilton a musical but yeah um hamilton of course came out recently on disney plus and uh actually like uh In the course of what I watched, like a thousand YouTube cooking channels, and one of them is like a historical cooking channel called uh, Tasting History, and uh, he he referenced 1776. I'm like, what is this? And I went and watched that, and pinged buddy, and he. Oh, you did. So you didn't know in 1776? No, I didn't. Um, Oh, interesting. Yeah, I. The funny thing is, is that
1: like I knew 1776 without really knowing it. Like I've always known that it's a musical. That it's that you know it's about John Adams. Um, and like Benjamin Franklin trying to get the Declaration of Independence out, um, and uh, you know, and one of the things I know about it is that Ben Franklin is a is a bass. This is this is part of my forever, you know, consternation is that I am a baritone singer, and there are rarely good baritone parts. All of the good parts for dudes are always tenors, uh, and F- Benjamin Franklin is a good part for someone with a lower register.
0: Well, that's 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 good to know. Yeah, I I, I am not super. Familiar with any of this, but I thought it was interesting as like kind of counterpieces to each other because like they're mm-hmm. both full of founding fathers, but the only really common one is Jefferson. Um, and uh, they kind of like you know, like complement each other, I think, in terms of like some of the stuff that happens. Although, obviously, Hamilton's much more focused on the man Alexander Hamilton, whereas uh, uh, 1776 is focused on, on the signing of Declaration of Independence. Um, but uh, right. I think they were both, uh, they were both fun. Uh, so, so, what do you want to start out talking about? With with I, you know, I feel like we should
1: really like Hamilton is the is the main is the main show, so we should we should get into it. To be part of the discourse, are we are going to be part of the Hamilton discourse?
0: <laughs> Oof. Yeah, let's 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 talk about the the, the Hamilton discourse. I guess is, is there really a big discourse around it? Oh yeah, oh man. Well, on my Twitter, there is a
1: ton of people talking about Hamilton. Um, I likened it to. Uh, th- in a certain sense, like the Overton window, it- which is that like you know Hamilton obviously came out ten years ago. Obama talked about how he loved Hamilton
0: yeah. and stuff like that. I think it was, uh, was and it at, at the 2015? time. Wait, sorry. I thought the play was twenty fifteen. Am I? Uh, yeah, maybe twenty fifteen.
1: It came out a while ago. Right, right, right. Um, but at the time, it was like very well regarded. The colorblind casting, you know, people loved the idea of uh, sort the, of the casting wasn't
0: colorblind. Like the only well, I mean the the playbill says that the only people that can be white are are uh, King George and the, uh, the the guy who's like complaining on the, on the Sure,
1: scene. sure. What I mean is the um uh the casting of like George Washington with a black actor, sure, right? Sure. Or and Alexander think, Hamilton with the Latino actor. Sure.
0: Um I think that's actually super um, important to, to the play, but we can get into that, that later.
1: Yeah, and so and then now discourse has Kind of devolved to this point where people are like, "Oh, Hamilton is just like whitewashing these terrible. The founding fathers are all monsters, you know." Like, I see. uh, And so there's a uh, there's a Hamilton good, Hamilton bad kind of thing playing out, which I
0: find interesting and funny. Um, So, so I I, I had seen a little of that, um, but I thought that that was I thought it was interesting because at the end of 1776. When they also failed to get the uh, the slavery clause taken out of the uh, um, Declaration of Independence which uh, is also like historic like the 7076 is not particularly historically accurate. Um, Franklin says like you know they, they you know they won't expect us to be demigods right um, but uh maybe maybe they do know I, I just thought it was it was an interesting counterpoint because like you know no I think yeah I yeah I mean well
1: yeah uh, the the whole thing the whole thing about slavery also came up because like Hamilton. It, if you take the show at its word, right, like, Hamilton was a northerner who was, like, against slavery, but, like, historiographically speaking, um, the Schuyler sisters are slavery heiresses, and, like, Hamilton owned slaves and that, that is slaves
0: debated. and stuff like that. So so I did to do a little research on this. Whether or not Hamilton okay. personally owned slaves is debated because, like, his mother owned slaves, but he was a bastard I think so he didn't have the right to inherit them and then like like his father-in-law might have, like definitely owned some but um whether or not they inherited them is a point of contention but and and even in kind of like the best case my, my understanding is that the the turnout book uh which the play is based on overstates his abolitionism a yeah. bit um and like he was he was primarily I believe the term is manumissionist which is like convince people to voluntarily give up their slaves I think yeah i mean and to be honest with you i my,
1: i don't like this argument but i kind of don't like it from sort of like one step up and i think which is to say like it is a bad the very first sentence is the is the poor piece there and none of us should be doing it right which is the if you take the show at its word right if we are engaging with historical fiction which hamilton is um, we have to understand that the show is taking liberties, uh, and there is a inbuilt skepticism to that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, this is another argument I've seen on Twitter that I really, really hate, which is part part of why I want to take part of my personal podcast to attack it. Um, like I saw somebody said, you know, they're showing him Hamilton in schools now as like a way to... You know, like, as a way to, like, indoctrinate people to this myth of the Founding Fathers. Here's here's the thing. I remember watching his historical, historical movies in school. I, we watched a ton of them. You know what I mean? Never once did I have a teacher who put on the historical movie and said, all of that is factually true. Without a shadow of a doubt, right? It is always accompanied by a conversation of context, right? You put on Gladiator or whatever, and you say, well, you know, here's some places where this would be different. Here's some places where it would be the same. You know, the big takeaway is that, like, the grandiose you know, uh, a spectacle of, of gladiatorial combat. Like, this is pretty true to form, but obviously Marcus Aurelius didn't behave this way, or whatever it, or, or whatever it is, right? And that is a skepticism that, like, I guess if you're a 30-something on Twitter, you have lost in a way, which I think is incorrect. If we are engaging with historical fiction, we have to engage with it with a certain amount of... um. You know, kind of skepticism and an understanding that everything in the play might not be exactly true and that it might be dramatized to make a good story, and that's okay. Because otherwise, you're basically just arguing that all historical fiction is fundamentally bad. And, like, boy, I think that is a losing argument every day of
0: the week. I, I think I, I definitely fundamentally agree with you there. Um, I would also point out that, like, you know, yes, you know, it's, it's got its inaccuracies, but. I don't think any history class is ever going to be perfect either. E- even one that, like, you know, yeah. you tried your hardest, like, the, where the teacher did, did their due diligence, right? Like, you could probably spend your entire career studying the American founding. Um, and its oh, yeah. Roots, right? Well, and, no,
1: no, no. And, well, this is something, can I get really postmodernist for a second? This is something Michel Foucault talked about, which is that history is actually archaeology. You are you are performing uh, archaeology of knowledge, right? And so there is no such thing as truth in history, It is always going to be filtered through, like, the lens of the present, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, And so, like, getting on anything historical for being – like, getting on any piece of historical fiction for being historically inaccurate kind of begs this question of, like, okay, well, what is historically accurate? Because nothing is going to pass that.
0: There's also a lot of stuff that's just not known, right? Like, to bring it back to to 1776, a lot of those – like, a lot of the action – on 1776 was inside of a closed session of, of the Continental Congress, right? As as Burr would say, right? Like n- uh, no one knows how the sausage is made, right? Like that's all like put together from recollections and and theorizing. Um, so you know, like like, and I think 1776 probably does a worse job of being historical than Hamilton for a, a couple of different reasons. But like you know, um, there's just stuff that that even even if we had like like a tape recorder of the American founding, the things that wouldn't be known because the tape recorder wasn't a bit, like, you know, like there wouldn't be a tape recorder in, in all of those places. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, um, no, definitely. I definitely agree. Um,
0: but on that, on
1: that like story level, I do
0: think Hamilton's really
1: compelling. I have been singing it and like humming it in my head all weekend. Um, which, you know, is it, you know, like clearly it works and it yeah. resonates. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and so I guess the question is why?
0: Uh, the music good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um,
1: well, okay. So, do, do do you have like a favorite song? Like, what's your what's your highlight of the, so of my,
0: the musical? My favorite segment is "Helpless into Satisfied." Um,
1: Whoa, that is so different than I think I expected.
0: What, what did you expect? I just I just think so. That I just I connect very little with
1: the Skylar Sisters stuff. I think it's compelling drama and stuff like that, but I think that the heights of the musical are in other places.
0: So in terms of like what sticks with me as song, right? Like okay. like the the technical production and the catchiness of helpless into the reversal oh, scene that I haven't been satisfied yes. just like it was just like, oh that is so fucking cool like I I just yeah it
1: it is very cool I I do I I, I see what you're saying yeah I maybe from like a blocking staging perspective I probably agree with you Um, there's a lot that goes on in like the blocking and staging of Hamilton but nothing quite as like viscerally cool as Angelica rewinding you know like decompressing this moment in time um, and rewinding her thought processes. she's like the maid of honor and there's this like thing or whatever Mm. um Yes. Yeah, okay, I get that.
0: What's What's your favorite?
1: Uh, my favorite song is uh, One Last Time, uh, which is, and my favorite segment would be kind of like the through line of those, which would be the second rap battle to It Must Be Nice to Have Washington on Your Side to One Last Time, where Washington it tells Hamilton that he's resigning. My favorite character in the show is is George Washington, partially because I think he has the most fun parts to sing. Um it's ironic a little bit, but I kind of think Hamilton has some of the worst songs.
0: So, um, uh, so I think the other part of this too is I think so. As, as friend of the cast, Charles uh, has has uh, has said uh, in other venues, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda is a perfectly serviceable actor for a high school production. Um, oh
1: yeah, uh, this I yeah. Also, friend of the cast, Chris, who graduated from you know UCI with a degree in theater had very unkind things to say about Mr. Miranda's rendition of uh of of any of those songs he's he's a bad singer um to which i responded yeah i think there's a recent Andrew Lloyd Webber did not play the phantom um but um <laughs> uh, but i also think that those i also just think that hamilton's songs are not great i don't love uh any of his sort of like solo feature outings in the same way that like, like he's kind of number three, but maybe four. I think the very best on, on the cast is Thomas Jefferson in the, in the stage and er, in the um, recording. That's David Diggs. Um Then it's George Washington. Then it's
0: either Hamilton or Aaron Burr. I think that they're more or less equal. I see. I, I, I think, I think Burr is, is, I don't know if I, I can say it's, the like the recording, I might be with you, but I just think Burge just like acts so well, and like not that I don't think Jefferson does. Oh that yeah, bad okay, job. no for sure. Um, no, I so I think the
1: thing that makes Jefferson so great is te- technical, right? Um, which is the you know he is he is singing and rapping so fast and with such great articulation that it's just like most people would fail at that. It's kind of like uh, do you know Le Mis at all? Le rap a
0: little bit, yeah.
1: Okay, so there's a song in Les Miserables that is um, commonly kind of used to flex by vocalists. It's called Bring Him Home, which Jean Valjean sings at the end of the story when he's dragging Marius through a sewer and is like, and the, he's like full of fucking bullet holes. Um, and, the, and he's singing a song to God that says, like, Please, oh God, as I drag him through the sewer, do not let him, you know, get infected and die. Um, and it is a song that is sung very high in the register, because he's talking to God, right? But very quiet, which is a very hard thing to do, right? When you think of people singing high, you think of, you know, when, when George Washington sings, history has its eye on you. He's belting that, right? But when you're singing Bring Him Home, you're basically whispering. And that's why it's used by vocalists who want to just be like, oh, yeah, let me, like, drop it, right? Like, um, by the way, I stole all of this from a YouTube video that I'll tell you about later. But, um... Uh, I think that the 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 Thomas Jefferson parts, the Davy Diggs parts in the show, which is kind of shared between Lafayette and Jefferson, it's the same uh, actor, obviously, um, are just the most impressive, hardest to do, and that the show pulls them off, it makes them the best. If that makes sense,
0: yeah. Especially when he's like being French, right? Like, yeah, I... when he is rapping in French faster than anybody else
1: raps, right? At the Battle of Yorktown I think song um that is maybe that stretch is maybe the most impressive though I think that some stuff he does on Jefferson are also like really great um you know in it must be nice and in uh um what did I miss
0: yeah no I I I I I think the whole show is is a delight right just to just kind of put it that put that out there um uh but yeah i def- i definitely see where you're where you're coming from um i'm obviously not as in tune to the uh the musical technicalities but like uh Fair I, enough. uh i'm i i guess i i went more to the the stagecraft stuff but you know um Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I do think that Angelica is very good as well. Um, In fact, I might say that Satisfied is the hardest song, kind of like end over end in a way. Like, some of those small beats with Jefferson, I think are like really crazy. Um, But like, maybe if you were to convince me that because Angelica is pulling it off over the course of her whole song, which is very fast, right, Um, and very high, that that would be, that that would also be like, you know, like the hardest song in the show. Um I mostly just think that Angelica doesn't have a great part. She really just has that one song and then she shows up in these other places where I think she's just like kinda
0: whatever. Yeah. You know, which is why she sort of falls blur on the list. I, I also I also think that like I, I think this is, some of this is just kind of like um uh some weaknesses in, in the writing, right? Like I think, uh, I think uh, Angelica gets, like, set up as being kind of this major player. And obviously you can't control history, right? Like, you know, it turns out Elizabeth was, was, the, was the larger figure in history. But, like, it, it feels like it gets set up that, like, this, like, uh, kind of, like, forbidden love between Hamilton and Angelica is going to be a big thing. And it's just kind of not. Um, yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean, and there's also a question of, like – like, so, for instance, I
1: also love the King George segments. Uh, they seem to be the most popular segments. And so, like, maybe you would say he's the best. In a certain sense, he's kind of too, like – too much of a bit player for me to really like count it's sort of like how you know the guy who plays hercules mulligan but then john or james madison you know he's in a bunch of songs but he never has a song to himself so he's always kind of like in the background does he really get to kind of compete with like the big dogs of like you know burr and hamilton and jefferson each of whom have like a bunch of their own you know songs
0: yeah no I, i i i agree um I think I think Washington almost kind of like treads that line a little. I, I guess he he does a lot, but he he, he seems like almost like a like. I, I, so I think this is a thing that just kind of happens with um, a lot of stuff surrounding the founding. If it's not specifically about Washington, Washington tends to be like a second tier player just because he's got this kind of deific status as like a founding father, right? Like he's kind of like the golden boy that like never did any wrong you know historical realities aside but that's just kind of how he gets portrayed and so i think there's like a a, a kind of a, a tendency to like make him uh, a little bit less forward so you don't have to give him as much character if that makes
1: oh sense. really see i think he has a ton of character this is actually the thing i love about washington and specifically i think his name is christopher jackson his performance um is that it is so full of character. And he just so... This is also part of my thing a little bit. Like, he really, like, disappears into that role and you immediately kind of, like, get it. Um, in a way that, like, it's hard for me to see a character in, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton in 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 that same way, I guess. What I loved about Washington is how... Okay, so, like, in a vocal term, this is sometimes called like, recitative, which is like reciting, right? right? Where you are singing lines as if you are speaking them, and he does that really well to perform sort of like to, to perform the character in a way that I think is truly magnificent and really great and it's a really minor thing right like when people think of good singing in musicals they think of the big stuff they think of belting right they think right. of hard technical singing like I was describing before but I think it is also very good and part of why I consider Washington such a great character um, in the show is because of how good he is at using his songs to communicate his characters right you know like my name's been through a lot it can take it he sings those lines but he also Speaks them in the way that you know what I mean. That it like really you, embodies the character, which I yeah, think yeah, is and,
0: incredible. In, the, in kind of the, the way that like like that kind of golden boy myth- mythologization of of Washington, I think. And I'm sorry, I I, th- I think character was probably the wrong term. What I meant is like the character of Washington is kind of a flatter character, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and th- th- that's what I mean, right? Like, you're, you're, yeah, and he.
1: All, I, I think he will always be a supporting character in stories like this. I think yeah. Washington himself. You know, even when we look at stuff like the Adams uh, HBO series, right, he is – I agree with you. He is always sort of a supporting character in the story, never, never the protagonist, which is interesting because he kind of has that most – you know, like the most protagonisty story of them, right? Like the military commander who defeats the British against overwhelming odds and then becomes the first president of the United Nations, right? United or the United States. States. Um like, that is the story of, like, Aragorn or whatever, right? And right. it would be so natural. But we always seem to focus in on, you know, Thomas Jefferson, uh, obviously Hamilton in this, John Adams is the HBO series, John Adams is also the central character of 1776, right? Like, the, he, w- Washington always sort of, like, sits on the sidelines in a way that I think is pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I think largely that's because he's, he's generally portrayed as fairly flawless, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's typically what you do with
1: characters who don't have character arcs, right? You just kind of stick them on the sidelines, kind of like Obi-Wan, right? Um, and they are the mentor figure right. that brings up Luke slash Hamilton kind of to, to his piece. But the character arc thing is something I do want to focus on uh, because this is part of what I think makes Hamilton narratively unique and satisfying in a way, which is I think – and this is a little bit of uh... – okay. So so I've talked before on the cast on how like a typical story will play out, right? which is to say that there's a hero and a villain they both want something they're fighting over the thing and the first time they interact the hero loses but then he changes right he changes something fundamentally about himself a lot of the time this is articulated as like his want versus his need he wants something, but he needs to do. So, he needs to change himself in some way in order to attain it. And the villain is typically the antagonist is typically unwilling to change, right? Um, which is how you get that villain trope of a villain who would rather die than admit wrongdoing, right? right? At the end of Les Mis, Javert throws himself into the Seine rather than admit that he was wrong about Jean Valjean, right? They heroes are flexible in a certain sense antagonists are not but hamilton kind of flips that in a way um th- which i think is really interesting like hamilton is fundamentally convicted right in his sort of beliefs and it is that conviction that simultaneously like creates problems for him but it is also the thing that the the antagonist aaron burr adopts and kind of corrupts in a way such that he becomes hamilton's Like, nemesis, right? And at the end of the show, Hamilton is like, Why are you doing this? And Burr says, I learned it from you. You know, like, I'm doing the thing that you are doing. Um, And I think that that's really clever and interesting, right? It's a story where the protagonist is kind of, in the context of the story, morally righteous, right? And he creates change in the antagonist that is ultimately sort of like, perverted and corrupted in a way that it kills him if that makes sense
0: yeah i mean i i, I get that um it, it's some kind of neat but I, i'm not sure i'm totally on board with that just because like it's not like burr's political ambitions are like burr always has the ambitions he just doesn't act on them and it's not like him acting on them is the thing that ultimately causes him to come into conflict conflict with hamilton it's hamilton's decision to endorse jefferson over burr in 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 the the play right like um no yeah it is definitely
1: not i'm laying it out in a blacker whiter like so for instance the play also acknowledges that burr has an effect on hamilton um because in the room where it happens right before that hamilton says i'm gonna listen to you you know talk less smile more i'm gonna get this compromise through congress kind of thing um and like you know so, so I, it is not quite as clean as I laid it out, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, but but I, I think your I think your fundamental point is is interesting. It, it's also I think that like a lot of Hamilton's conflict comes from like like it, it's not like necessarily straight up rooted in the political stuff, right? A lot of it's with his relationship with Elizabeth, right? Like, um, and that is much less about, um, kind of like. It, it, it's almost kind of like he, he had, like it, it's, it's almost like a redeemed villain type of thing, right? Like you know, Vader, Vader sacrifices himself uh, to kill the Emperor, um, uh, and so like it, it, it's, it's kind of like Hamilton's, like, like uh, you know, he gets forgiven by by, by Elizabeth, but like it, it feels like that's kind of his.
1: Yeah, I mean, part of it is because I think, uh, you know, in stories we typically associate conviction with villains, right? Right. Like, the villain is Magneto, right, who believes that mutants are stronger. The villain is, you know, General Zod who wants to uh, destroy Earth and replace it with Krypton, right? Like, the villain is the person who has that super, you know, like, firm belief in a thing. Right. That that kind of, like, drives, in a certain sense, his kind of, like, Um And Hamilton is also a character of conviction, uh, which is, I think, kind of, like, the bedrock of why the, this, this, like, interaction is happening. Uh, at the end of the day, Burr doesn't really have, you know, like, this is the thing he's constantly criticized for. He doesn't really have convictions. He doesn't really have beliefs. Yeah. Outside of his own, you know, just kind of, like, general all-purpose ambition. But even that, right, like, he can't. He has the ambition, but he can't get anywhere because of that lack of sort of beliefs, if that makes sense. Um, and so, and so, I think that that character dynamic is super interesting and really compelling. Like, in a certain sense, it's kind of a, he's kind of a villain of FOMO, right? Like, you see the jealousy that's in there, and there's and there are definitely like jealousy villains out there, but there's there aren't quite villains built around like, you know, the interaction where Burr in right-hand man where burr talks to george washington and george washington kind of dismisses him and and invites in hamilton because hamilton was willing to take the risk capture those cannons and now he's going to be washington's secretary um that is a different sort of origin story for most villains that we typically don't see like most antagonists that we typically don't see which i think is interesting um and he's also humanized on a level that you think even javert who is maybe one of the other big musical villains? He gets a couple villain songs, and he's constantly clashing with Valjean in Les Mis. Um, Javert isn't humanized. He, he walks that line that I've that I've talked about before, which is sympathy and empathy. Right? You sympathize with Javert because he is driven, and he explains his methodology and his reasoning in a way that is understandable, and you get where he's coming from, right? But you don't empathize with him uh you empathize i empathize with aaron burke quite a bit uh and the show wants you to which i right. think is uh is like another interesting piece of the puzzle right he, like, he gets a song with hamilton that is all about empathy as they are talking to their newborn kids um in the you know in the in the new united states
0: yeah um yeah no i i, I absolutely i I, uh, I agree with you there um i also think that like i, I think you bring up like a, a pretty good point right like um like this is his lack of principles, right? Like that's basically what the whole song, the room where it happens, is about, right? Like Hamilton wants to be in the room so he can get his agenda through. Burgess wants to be in the room for its own sake, which is not like a yeah a, a thing. Which I, which I think was, was was a pretty pretty good way of uh, of, of kind of demonstrating that, like uh, just kind of like like kind of hammering it on the head. Um, uh, but, but I definitely agree with you too about the. Uh, 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 about the sympathy thing, right? Like you know, like the things he's saying is right. Like you know, like I'm the only one that's in, I'm the only one that's in control, or rather, my life is the only thing I can control. Right? So like I need to make sure yeah. that I, I take. Yeah. I so to-
1: that's wait for it, and this is part of what I think under underwrites Burr's character arc is the wait for it into the room where it happens. That's kind of the point where I think that's where the change happens, right? Where Burr realizes that he cannot wait for it anymore. He has to kind of go and. um and he eventually steals the Senate seat, or doesn't steal, but, you know, he he gets the Senate seat from uh, Hamilton's father-in-law, Philip Schuyler.
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, it's he, he's, I th- that's probably why he's, he's I think he's, he's like, uh, the favorite character, right? Like, because the actor just puts that all out there so well. mm mm-hmm. um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, it. it's, and it's
1: also really interesting. People have described... I I have a controversial take on this a little bit. Um, people have also described uh, the show as sort of villainizing Thomas Jefferson, which I kind of disagree with. I think the show has... He, like, he and Hamilton are, like, diametrically opposed, but I actually think that their relationship looks a little bit more like a, like a hero-lancer rivalry sort of, like, you know what I mean? Like, Yugi and Kaiba, rather than Yugi and Pegasus, in a way. And maybe that's, like, splitting hairs, like, they're both antagonists to Yugi, um, or whatever, but I, I don't know. I, there is, I feel like the show is friendlier towards Thomas Jefferson, because he is a, he is just as convicted in if not, the same convictions as Hamilton is, and therefore he's kind of like, um, you know, he's kind of he's kind of like a, a, a hero that is like temporarily opposed to to Hamilton. If that makes sense?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with you entirely. I think it's more kind of like the like the, you know the honorable villain versus the big bad kind of difference, which is why um, you know uh, Hamilton endorses Jefferson over over Burr. Um, um, but I do think he, he is fairly villainized, right? Like, um, I mean, like the, the, I think the cabinet battles kind of established that, right? Like, oh, see, okay. That's interesting. I think that is, I think
1: the first cabinet battle, it, it, I think Thomas Jefferson quote unquote wins. I agree with his argument more. And I think that the punch that he delivers at the end, like about Lafayette I think show is like a it's like a oh Hamilton oh you know what I mean because maybe if it was just the song itself I would agree with you because like the you know like the whole thing with King Louis and maybe it's because I understand the French Revolution or whatever um but the part where Thomas Jefferson says have you forgot have you forgotten Lafayette that part stings I think if you are like really empathizing with Hamilton in a way that I'm just like Wow, kind of Thomas Jefferson, sort of right. Like Hamilton's kind of leaving his friend in the dust, which
0: sucks, dude. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sure, but I, I don't think that makes Jefferson not a, like. So, like that's that's the one that Hamilton wins, right? This is the second fight. The first fight is about slavery, right? Well, um, it's not about slavery. It's about it's about the debt, but like the, the thing that gets invoked is slavery um, by, yeah. by 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 Hamilton. Um, and I think that the kind of bigger thing is that the thing that ultimately carries these fights is that. Um, Jefferson wins the first fight, not necessarily because he's right, but because he has the, you know, he has the votes, right? Like, um, whereas um, Hamilton, you know, wins the second fight because he only has to persuade George Washington. Um, and you know, if I am going to be like, like, kind of, uh, uh, or if I am going to like read into it, it's, you know, it's kind of like an elitist take, right? Like, you can't get the people to agree with Hamilton, who is obviously right. Um, so, like, you know, you, you get kind of who is essentially the autocrat and George Washington to agree with you. Um, um, because Hamilton's obviously right. Right, that, that, that's kind of the, the way the, the thing that I took out of it, or, or the way I saw it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely get that. I, you know, I don't know. In a certain sense, I also. It's hard. It's really yeah. kind of hard. It, maybe, maybe he just kind of lives in this amorphous gray area between them. Because I also love Thomas Jefferson's rebuke of. Aaron Burr, like, that feels like a an awesome moment, right? Where it's like, yeah, fuck you, Burr, you piece of shit, you know what I mean? And that and that also puts me in, in like, a very empathetic and I'm kind of, in a certain sense, stringing those two moments together. Um, and, and some of the other stuff, like, about the music, like, like, what did I miss and Washington on his side aren't villain songs, right? In the way that Wait For It and uh, the room where it happened are, like, villain
0: songs. Okay. I Does see that make sense? Saying, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. So, like, I, th- I think it's kind of the most combination of those two things that are sort of, like, the bedrock of this. But really, that moment – Ah, oh, see, this is the thing. That moment where Thomas Jefferson says, like, have you forgotten Lafayette? Oh, that kills me. Because he's t- – I just feel like he's fucking right. Because the show – and part of it is that the, the show, like, backs it up. Lafayette talks about how he wants to abolish the monarchy – and he wants to bring the revolution to France and he wants them to have his back and Hamilton doesn't. And that, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like all that kind of like strings together in such a way. Sure,
0: that. sure, sure. No, no, that's absolutely true but I, I don't think like, I mean, I don't think that the villain has to be wrong especially like the honorable mm-hmm. villain, right? Like, which is, which is kind yeah. of...
1: I guess in a certain sense there's a difference between the villain and the antagonist. Like, right. I think Thomas Jefferson is an antagonist but I wouldn't call him a villain whereas okay. like Aaron Burr is both villain and antagonist. Um, Because ultimately, like, you know, like, ultimately, I don't think Jefferson Jefferson is, like I said, he's convicted, but he's convicted by, you know, moralistic, like, the part of this is in Washington on his side, where he outlines, like, our farmers are living ration to ration while Wall Street robs us blind, like, that is noble in and of itself. And he has a sort of noble motivation, whereas Burr doesn't. And so it's kind of the combination of having, like, you know, he's opposed to Hamilton, which makes him an antagonist, but he has a noble motivation, which kind of, like, gets him away from villain territory. Whereas Burr is just like, nah, he's, you know, he's empathetic. I understand where he's coming from and why he feels the way he does. And I see sort of the kind of, like, the tragedy that shaped him, right? But it shaped him into a real piece of garbage.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I buy that. <laughs> I definitely buy that. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Do I feel like burrs? Like I, I just I feel like Burr being a piece of garbage is the thing that I don't feel like. I mean, part of this might be that like while I was watching for the first time, I was kind of reading some of the the, the history on Wikipedia. Um, just because like the. The, the, the final duel is not as clear-cut as the show makes it seem. And that's, you know, again, yeah. that's like a historical fiction thing. Um, and then, did you pay a little bit of lip service to that, right? Like, um, uh, Burr says that, uh, you know, like, why was he wearing his glasses if he wasn't going to shoot to kill? Um, I actually read a really interesting article in my kind of searching through this that, like, like the, what really may have happened is that, like, Hamilton may have intentionally martyred himself. Like, apparently, like, he put on the glasses and, like, you know, leveled his gun a bunch of time and kind of aimed just like, you know, kind of like showing off, um, like, you know, like maybe making that he was going to shoot to kill. Um, and also like maybe adjusted the trigger pressure on the gun so they would go off easier. Um, mm. And like the, the thought, like part of the thought there is that, um, you know, he was trying to get Burr to kill him, to cement his legacy in history, to ruin Burr. And also maybe just stop the secession of the New England states, which is like, you know, obviously that's a lot more kind of like, core history than than is in the show but like uh i don't know i just i just found that that's super fascinating i also really like the duel the dual kind of like framing for all three of them right like the, the countdown thing i thought that was i thought that was really well done
1: no i agree with you as well um uh, and i think that the it builds to the climax because you kind of know what's going on but you don't know what's going to happen because you've seen two duels right one of which the good guys won what one, one of which the bad guys won in a way uh and it kind of creates this uncertainty of like oh like you know what could happen next i guess and the and the the ratcheting tension of the of the counting and stuff like that plus they sh- they shift it to a minor key i actually have some quibbles with the music in hamilton um, which is like i think that it's like good and it's catchy and it's like technically proficient but i think it doesn't quite function on the way a musical like the the way musical music sh- is supposed to function in a way Um, but that is a moment where it really nails it, right? Where you take, where you are doing a reprise, but you are changing, you're modulating the key to make it more dangerous and threatening because this
0: one is like serious business. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I get that. I'm, I'm not I'm, like I said, I'm not a music theory guy, so I, I'm I'm not as sensitive to those things. But I, I see what you're saying, and I... yeah, like the
1: the music the musical has like a bunch of light motifs that I think are kind of like fairly worthless. And um, like most character names are sung in this as the same notes, um, but. I feel like all of those moments are shallow and not interesting. Like, so, for instance, you know, the the easy example for this is something like Star Wars. Um, I've been watching a lot of the Clone Wars. There's an episode of Clone Wars where there's, like, a pacifist who is, you know... um, a pacifist who doesn't want to shoot somebody because, like, that person would become, like, a political martyr or whatever. And it would, like, doom the Republic to more war. But, like, that person is also holding a hostage or something like that. And Anakin kills the kills the person, right? And underneath that is the Imperial March or it's like a little bit of it, right? Like just enough to kind of be like, Ooh, like this is a bad moment. Like this is not a good look for, for our boy, Anakin. This is not him being very heroic. This is him, you know, solving a a situation with violence that is ultimately just going to breed more violence because he wasn't willing to find like the diplomatic solution or whatever. And so you can use those sorts of, like you can use songs like that in order to convey some of those feelings. And that happens ish. In the in the musical, um, but it doesn't happen like to the to the same effect that I would think like very good musicals do. Like so, you know, for instance, Les Mis does it. Les Mis actually is is Les Mis is kind of the like Super Mario Brothers of it, which is to say that it's like it's simple but also deep at the same time, which is part of what makes it like cool. It's like baby's first light motifs, but also like you know compelling and really well done at the same time. I don't know how else to say that.
0: Yeah, no, no. I, I, you know, like, the, it's it's simple but good is, is, is a thing that, that is yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely true, right? Like, So Hamilton
1: will constantly reference itself, but I feel like the references aren't, you know, uh, super, I just feel like the references aren't great. Some of them are, but...
0: Not yeah, I, I've so. I've heard this criticism elsewhere as well. as like sometimes it yeah. seems like they're just making callbacks to make callbacks. Um, yeah, than... the, the, yeah, it is exactly it is exactly that. Um,
1: I also think that uh, that, and p- this is partially a problem with sung-through musicals in general, which is that like part of the be- like the the I don't know the building blocks of what make a, the musical genre work are. Uh, speak, sing, dance in a progression, right? You okay. speak until, like, the emotion is so high that you sing, and then you sing until the emotion is so high that you dance, and then it, like, comes down and you go through that progression a couple of times, right? Again, I'm okay. seeing this from a video, uh, a YouTube video, but, like, that speak, sing, dance, speak, sing, dance progression is uh, is real, and Hamilton kind of is, like, the Michael Bay of that, because it's always sung, and it feels like there's just kind of like always stuff going on. This is something that um, this is something that Les does to to okay effect because they have comedy relief songs where they'll like you know go go to some other thing to kind of like break up the tension. Hamilton doesn't have a ton of that. Right. Uh, it has like a little bit. There's the one drinking buddies song in the first act, and, and then
0: um, the George I would also King George segments maybe.
1: Yeah, and the King George segments are a little bit like this, um, but you know, uh, I feel like it. There are times where it is going from just a nine to a ten to a nine to a ten to a nine to a ten. It's like, please, get just like let me off the wild ride, please. Like, come on.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I I agree with you there, right? Like, it's it's a lot of like, it's a lot of high intensity for like the three hour, uh, three hours yeah. of sitting there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I, I kind of think the back end of the musical falls apart a little bit. Like the you know, God Philip dying is just like brutal, Yeah. and it kind of stays in that mood. I would just say like too long. Uh, I don't know. That's it. That's that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think what, what it's song? It's Quiet of Town is one of the more moving pieces, right? Um, of the of of the of the show just because it is so intensely emotional. Um, uh, also a little a historical, they had been, I think they, they, like at least Elizabeth came home, um, before Philip had died, like significantly before. Um, also, uh, so so this is kind of maudlin, but I, I always thought, I thought it was kind of hilarious. Like, you know, uh, he, he says that like Phillips are replaceable or something like that. But in real life, they named their final son Philip after the first one because he was born after <laughs> Philip died. So Listen, it's- kids are fungible, you guys. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also the show. Also, I mean, I guess there are, there's like a line where he wants like a little. He's got a kid sister or whatever, but like the show also just doesn't portray any of Hamilton's out there like nine kids, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, and it's kind of like, oh, he lost his only son. Was like, well, no, they just didn't have anybody else except for Philip in the show, yeah. Um, which you know, like this, yeah. this is more historical accuracy, kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I think it, it served. I think, I think it, the, the yeah, the tension works better if it is yeah. like
0: you know. Also, fun back fact: Theodosia Burr, uh, you know, he, uh, Aaron Burr's daughter. Um, gets lost at sea at age 29. So, you know. Every, every, <laughs> uh,
1: Why didn't they mention that? That should have been in, like, the, the denouement with, yeah, yeah, you know, with Elizabeth the, Schuyler
0: and Burr. Where and are they now? <laughs> <laughs> fuck him.
1: And they, yeah, I mean, seriously. That, honestly, they probably would have turned it into a big fuck you um, to, to Aaron Burr. Like, ha-ha, <laughs> <laughs> loser. Like, you know. Oh, that's depressing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Life, uh, life, life in the past sucked a lot. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah,
1: I guess it did. I
0: guess it did. Yeah. Um, other historical fun fact that I just kind of want to mention is um, the scene where Jefferson, Madison, and Burr go confront uh, uh, go confront Hamilton about his affair. It wasn't those three; it was Madison or it was Monroe and Monroe, then two, yeah. and two other guys that you've never heard of. Um, <laughs> And apparently, like and like that happens in like I think it's ninety two, um, and uh, and then like in ninety seven the details start to leak, and Hamilton almost gets into a duel with Monroe, which is only averted by Burr, which is which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I also it also sort of bugs me a little bit. Um, this is like this is like a small scale criticism i guess uh it also sort of bugs me a little bit the number of times where they kind of like force hamilton and burr to interact when they didn't like he burr was also not charles lee's second at the battle of monmouth
0: duel there's there's a a a couple things like that um but yeah no i it's in service of the uh of the narrative i guess but i definitely take your point right like i I always feel a little bit this way about some historical stuff too right because like you know the the implication that uh, Angelica Schuyler was forever unfulfilled because she really wanted to you know be with Hamilton is kind of like you know like. If, you know, her real husband were still alive, I'd kind of be like, well, well, fuck you, right? Like, you know, that, that always... It's, it's yeah, like no, weird... because, yeah, because she was married
1: for three years before she even met Hamilton, right? Something oh, like that.
0: I'm, I'm not super sure about those details, but she does have, like, a husband, right? Like, and, you know, it's like...
1: Yeah, my understanding is that though that is the, the place where the, the musical is most historically inaccurate. There is exceedingly little evidence for Angelica having this kind of unrequited love for... Uh, Alexander, like, they, they, they had this thing that, like, could never be, um, and it is functionally a fabrication of uh, of the musical. Like, l- look, at the end of the day, I might quibble a little bit that, like, Burr pops up in the story more times than he should, hypothetically, uh, but at the end of the day, he still fucking shot the dude. Right, like, yeah. you know, that there was a real animosity there, um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, and just... On a personal note, something that always bothers me about every myth of the founding is that everybody always just skips over the Articles of Confederation, right? It's like the Revolution I know. Well, yeah. and the uh, Constitution. Yeah. It's like there were there were ten years, guys. Ten years were like you know the government fell apart. Um, uh, I I sort of think
1: that that's another piece where it's just unpopular, like the Whiskey yeah. Rebellion or whatever, which was like brutally put down. Uh, was kind it's kind of like alluded. ...to by Jefferson, where he's like, you know, what are you going to do... ...or what do you think is going to happen when you tax our whiskey? Well, there's going to be a huge rebellion and it's gonna be a big deal you know what i mean but like it's you know we're not gonna deal we're not gonna deal with that i also think it see i mean part of it is what is andrew hamilton or alexander hamilton's legacy and if it were me i would say the federalist papers right like i think the federalist papers are like the most important part and that is definitely brought out as as like a moment for kind of like hamilton to flex a little bit um but they don't actually like address what you know what i mean like they they kind of, like, wave, and the same thing happens with his financial system. They, like, wave at, like, oh, here's the genius of the financial system, but they don't really, like, explain what it does or how it works um, in a way that, like, convinces you that it is cool or special, um, which, you know, I don't love that.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. It's but you know it, it's also a tough thing to to do in a like you know in, in an entertaining yeah. musical, right? Like, and here's the genius of the you know the technical details of, of the the central bank that like you know or uh, I don't know if it's central bank but like the banking system that was his chief innovation. But yeah, no, I, I it, these these are all kind of like ultimately I, I think smaller things. But yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about 1776 since we're most of the way through the uh, through the yeah? Hour? So I was really interested by your
1: your your. Uh, claim that Thomas Jefferson had the same energy in 1776 and in Hamilton. Because in Hamilton, he's something of like a braggart, right? Yeah. Um, Where, you know, he – like, what did I miss is the song that he sings, and it's a self-important song. Like, oh, I'm going to be Secretary of State. Great. You know, like that is – and that's a different sort of energy that you get out of Thomas Jefferson in 1776 where, you know, he's allowing every possible change to the – to the declaration of independence he's really reluctant about it you know like all this other stuff
0: yeah, so to be fair first i sent that to you when i was like halfway like or i was partway through it right so so part of, that, okay. part of that part of that step i'm i'm really i'm just wondering i'm not i'm not trying to like really get at you i'm just wondering what your thought process was yeah no, but the thing was it felt like just, like, it felt like they kind of had that, like, you know, as, as as the kids say, they say, it's, like, that kind of big dick energy, especially because, like, one of the pivotal points of 1776 is, like, Thomas Jefferson's, like, I need to fuck my wife so I can write the declaration. <laughs> of Independence. Yeah. Which is also a thing that didn't happen. Um, that's also kind of maudlin, right? Like, we know that she he, that she didn't go to Philadelphia, and that was because she was bedridden because she had just had a miscarriage. Um, so, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it was, like, you know, kind of like a... He's just kind of like, you know, like this, this looming giant, right? Like, especially because like in terms of in, – in at least in the, in the framing of the shots and just, you know, his physical stature, he's like a huge dude, right? Like, he, he seems like a giant among men. Um I think that that that's kind of the commonality I saw, right? Like, Jefferson's kind of, like, this larger-than-life character in, in both, it, it seems, at least to me. But I, I take it. That's point. kind
1: of interesting. I, I do think that he gets humanized a little bit more. Like, I think Ben Franklin kind of behaves a little bit like Washington in 1776, where, like, he's mostly there to sort of be that, like, mentor figure yeah, that fills... I mean, it's a different role, right? Like, you know, George Washington is dad... And Benjamin Franken is like your kooky uncle. Um, but like they they are both sort of reduced to their mythic archetypal roles rather than allowed to be more full or realized characters in their own right. Um whereas like, you know, I think Thomas Jefferson ha- you know, like you get you get that insight into him as a as a romantic or whatever. Um, or as someone who is principled when he, you know, is is allowing all of these changes but he you know specifically disabuses the notion that king george is not a tyrant from dickinson cuz he's not not willing to take that um or whatever else right
0: uh so yeah yeah no i i i i get that i get that um so so did you have, did you have any like did you have a favorite song for 1776 <sighs> you know uh
1: that one's honestly tough. I kind of want to say the Quill song, where they're all passing the pen around, uh, the passing the Quill around about who's going to write the Declaration of Independence, um, is a pretty – that that's a pretty good one. It's a pretty fun one. But, like, there aren't any really, like, real bangers.
0: Um, uh, so even I, in,
1: in, like, musical terms that I felt, like, really kind of uh, stood out.
0: I, I disagree. I think molasses oh, and what? Rum – like just like like you know Okay, yeah, okay. That one like, that one yeah. It's like over the top and it is like it is freaking terrifying. Right? like Okay, for those of you who haven't seen 7076, right, Molasses and
1: Rum is the story, or is the song that Rutledge, the delegate from South Carolina, sings when uh, John Adams gets on his case for slavery. They're gonna put a clause about how slavery is bad in the Declaration of Independence, and Rutledge is like, no, eat, eat my ass. You're know, like, fuck you guys. And, um, and John Adams gets on his case about it, and I did not expect this! What a, what a turn! Um, they they he sings a song called molasses and rum that talks about the triangle trade and how the triangle trade is really facilitated by northern merchants not by southern plantation owners right um and how he is just as complicit in the practice of slavery as everybody else is uh and it is woof it is dark um I, I just really did not expect them to go there. But it's a great example, though, of that, you know, sort of speak, sing, dance kind of progression. Because as they're arguing and it's getting and it's getting more heated, then he bursts into song. And then it's also, like, filmed in such a way. I was watching the film from 1972. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also filmed in a way that's, like, woof, you know? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. like, I
0: think the screen turns red and, like, he, like, jumps up on a desk. It's just kind of like, and he, like, belts out. Like you know, molasses rum and slate. It's just like it's just like Jesus Christ. Um, but I thought, like the, the other moment for that too is like you know, <laughs> one of the a messenger comes in from uh, from the from the uh, war, uh, like with a note from Washington. And then like he sits down with like a like a page and like a, an errand boy, and like oh, did you see any action? like, yeah, I, I saw some action. I just I fought at the Battle of Lexington. My two best friend dies. My two best friends Oh, died. God, yeah, yeah.
1: That one was also just, like, what rough. Yeah. Very, very empty chairs and empty tables vibes.
0: Yeah. No, it was, uh, um, like, and, like, so Last in Rome comes second, so, like, there's a little bit more for it, but, like, up until that point, the, the the movie's kind of, like, you know, happy-go-lucky, right? Like, you know. Yeah. You know, it's serious matters, but, you know, it's like, you know. Uh, there's a whole song
1: about double entendres about Jefferson fucking his wife, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, ha, ha, ha. And then he pulls it out. His violin, you know, like, <laughs> and then, and then, oh, all of all my friends are dead, right? Like, what are we fighting for? <laughs> you know, like,
0: oh man, um, and then, yeah, um, but it's 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 a it is a fun film, especially like like that opening, like really like sucked me in, right? Like, it's like it's like yeah. half dumbass, uh, you know, senator from Virginia. It's like I'm gonna go get the the resolution because I'm you know I'm uh, Richard Lee, and he just like makes like. Seventy-two leap puns in a row, and it's—I know, it's, ah, beautiful, a work of art. Yeah, um, <laughs> very fun. like it, it, it's—it is a fun film, and I, I um, so actually, this is the thing: since you're a little bit more into the theater stuff, like, um, so this is this is a trend that I like. I've watched a bunch of older musicals, um, mm-hmm. not in a while, but like the movie versions are always kind of like adaptations of the stage play. Um, in a way that's a little bit more movie-like, right? Like they're they're, they're shot on either sets or in you know the, out in the world somewhere, rather than being like a filming of a stage play like Hamilton was. Do you have any any thoughts on like which of those you prefer? This is an interesting thing that has been cropping
1: up in sort of like recent uh, like times, like debate-wise, um, specifically because of Cats um, and Les Mis, uh, which are obviously like two. Okay, so here's 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 like you know, the, the, an overview of movie musicals when in the sixties, the movie musical was box office gold. It was amazing. It was huge. It made a gazillion dollars. Right. Um, and it was kind of like the superhero movie. There's a whole, there's a whole YouTube show, um, by Lindsay Ellis that, that'll be in the description, uh, that talks about how the musical was like, the vehicle by which hollywood made its money in kind of like the 60s but then the 70s rolled around and kind of new hollywood and you have scorsese spielberg right um george lucas right and these guys are not making musicals and the blockbuster sort of shifts away from you know a sound of music right or my fair lady and into you know star wars and jaws right um then musicals are more or less dead until like, you know, like there's the Disney musicals, obviously, you know, Jungle Book is in the 70s. Uh, the Disney Renaissance is in like the 90s. But the big thing that happened is uh, Moulin Rouge came out or maybe Chicago came out. No, I think it was Moulin Rouge came out uh, early in the 2000s and won a bunch of awards like Oscars. And all of a sudden, everybody started chasing music like putting like filming musicals again as a way to sort of chase these oscars right so that's where you get your phantom adaptation um chicago uh is is like in this time um and eventually you know you come out the other side and you have les mis and cats which are filmed adaptations by like film crews but in such a way that it just like ruins it like les mis Lemmy's is a great musical, by the way. It's why I use it all the time. In this, it's so iconic. It's so good, right? Um, but the movie version of it, with you know Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe and uh, Eddie Redmayne, you know, it's terrible. It's just god awful. And uh, there's this idea that, like, listen, just release the filmed version of of it on stage. People get it. It is so much better that way, right? Like, stop trying to dress things up put it in you know like put it in movie form just film the show and give us the show uh, which is exactly what Hamilton did uh, and so I do sort of expect to see a little bit more of this uh, the huge the huge big name musical Hades town um, is probably gonna gonna get this treatment Hades town just like won like a gazillion Tony's obviously um, and then of course you know there's a bunch of other big ones Beetlejuice the musical the musical the musical. Uh, which is its real name uh, was pretty huge on Broadway though I think it closed uh, I, I'm like tangentially connected to this stuff because well so I were you didn't have any connection to this stuff living in New Jersey I mean I, I maybe it's just a Maplewood thing
0: yeah to, I I didn't go to like the only Broadway show I've seen was um the the Frankie Valley one um and that was like while I was in college um, oh okay yeah
1: yeah no I mean you know part of, my stepmother works in in theater so like. I've I, but I've seen like a, a bunch of Broadway shows and stuff like that, um, but uh, like that was my thing in high school. Like I was the I was a musical kid. Okay. Uh, I did the musical. I did I didn't instead yeah. of like sports or whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I enjoyed watching the, the the high school musicals that my my school put on. But those were all like those were mostly things I was familiar with. Like it was like Music Man and uh, and Annie, right? Which I had watched the film versions of. Those those are the ones that I have my most experience with. Is like you know, um, taking the VHS of. Uh, of oklahoma out of the library and watching it mm-hmm. uh, when i was like six um and- and
1: yeah we did uh what was it we did annie we did Grease. we did little shop of horrors which was the one i was the dentist in uh that was my that was my claim to fame is I was the dentist in little shop of horrors and then we did once on this island where i did, i wasn't in the musical then i was the techni- i was the student technical director uh, the STD, as it is known, and I like was the stage crew guy.
0: Yeah. Actually, while while we were at Hopkins, I was a uh, I was a stagehand during a like uh, it was like a very small production of uh, what's uh, uh, songs that Shiksa Goddess. It's about like a like a Jewish guy getting like falling in love with like a Christian girl.
1: Oh so, man, I really I petitioned really hard one year to do Fiddler on the Roof because. Uh, I could do Tevye, <laughs> like that's one of the ones where like the lead is a baritone. Um, so I really wanted to do, I really wanted to do that, but we didn't, we we didn't get there. Part of it was, um, oh, I was also in the Fantastics, which was another, which was another musical that I kind of forgot about now that I think about it. Um, the, um, yeah, the the like the the politics of like the different musicals we were doing was always like a big deal, and it was like, ooh, what show are we gonna pick this year? You know. That was that was huge in our
0: school. Ah, see, see, I, I wasn't super involved with, with with any of that. Like, um, whereas like the stage crew, I think is like traditionally like one of the nerd things. We had a really big mass media department, and so those guys did like most of the stage crew stuff. So like the nerdy nerds just like you know sat in the computer lab and like played games or something. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, when I when I was like ten, I played Bill Sykes in Oliver Twist, uh, but that was like you know that was like a local community playhouse thing, which was like. I, I almost forgot about that. That was, like, uh, so long ago. Jeez. Um, okay, yeah. well, so
1: one one last question on this in 1776. If you were, you know, like, let's say you, you have, you can blackmail the director. You can get him to get, you know, you can get him to cast you in whatever part you want. What part do you want from the director for, I mean, either show?
0: Either show, huh. Oof, this is this is this is a tough question just because like I don't know like what like I, like there's like a bunch of like kind of like angles here right like um you know like is this supposed to be like what what which one which part do I think would be the most fun to play or is it like which part do I think that I would be the best at doing
1: i if there are different you can you can answer this how it's very okay. open ended i guess <laughs> yeah fair
0: enough um huh I honestly kind of want to be like the Scottish guy in 1776, like the delegate from, uh, from Delaware. Oh,
1: Delaware. Yeah, that guy.
0: <laughs> just because he's like big and angry and like, you know, irascible and also like, you know, not enough of a player that I have to worry about like, you know, screwing anything up too much. But I just like, that's the fun part. W- wave, wave my gun around and be like, eh, take the Scottish out of the Declaration of Independence. They're noble people. Um, <laughs> uh, and you know it's not, not too much effort, but uh, yeah. Well, what's what's your answer? I'm sure you've got a good one. Uh, it's uh,
1: it, it's the easy one. It's George Washington because he's enough. in my register, and I find his songs so fun to sing. Uh, though I would love, to, I feel like if it was just like apropos of nothing, if I truly had blackmail, I'd be like, you're casting me as Thomas Jefferson, and I'm gonna butcher it, but it's gonna be fun as fuck, and I give a shit what you think. Oh, you yeah. know what I
0: mean? Yeah, yeah. No, um, I, like. For kind of, like, similar reasons to 1776, to, but if I was going to do Hamilton, i would beat King George, absolutely. Like, oh, yeah,
1: okay. King George also has – King George has the great part because he only shows up, you know, every once in a while, and it's just to be funny. Yeah. Um, and it's I love also Jonathan, Jonathan Groff in that part. Actually, do you know um, – so you remember the, the show Mindhunter that I talked about? Yeah. Uh, the, the Jonathan Groff stars in Mindhunter. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, and also, if you remember, okay, this is, this is a little bit of a throwback. One year at Gen Con, um, when we did that shared playlist thing, and I put on a bunch of songs from musicals, the, I, I quoted one of those songs as my favorite, favorite song to sing, right, from the musical Spring Awakening, and it was super awkward because you guys were like, because the song is called Touch Me, and it's about fucking, um, <laughs> and I sang it at the top of my lungs, that was Jonathan Groff singing that song. Because he was the lead, he was Melchior in uh, Spring Awakening.
0: Okay, fun. So,
1: fun fact yeah. about yeah, fun fact about Jonathan
0: Groff. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> other, other fun facts. Uh, Washington is the singing voice of Moana. Uh, in uh, in Moana, uh, which is something I looked up because I was like, hey, he's pretty cool. Chris Chris Jackson, I think, is, is what you said his name was, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow, I actually did not know that.
0: Yeah um cuz i guess the rock can't sing um but yeah i, I was looking at his wikipedia page a couple of nights or probably last night at this point but yeah um but yeah cool stuff um fun fun stuff about hamilton and 1776 uh how was your week uh how
1: was my week i played a bunch of video games uh the big one is the guild downed uh Heroic off. So after you know six months, twenty four weeks or whatever, of uh, the eight point three content being out, we finally got you know we finally got the kill, which is nice and satisfying. Uh, it's funny because you know I, I I actually feel pretty good I guess about that uh, about that process just because the like our group doesn't meet that often right like we, we raid once a week for two and a half hours on a on a Tuesday. And it's very, you know, mimi. It's very jokey. We don't, we're not super strict about time or about pulls or about whatever else, right? Um, but being able to kind of like clear all the way through and get, you know, progression done. Uh, is you know I don't know it's, yeah. it's satisfying I guess well
0: congratulations um, on uh defeating the uh, apex content of the uh, of the of, of the world of warcraft right now right
1: yeah yeah I mean I got I think my apex content was probably me getting the brutosaur uh which was obviously also very satisfying but you know I don't know getting both of them i guess is is pretty nice it's also interesting because like that like the fights are hard um and it is coming up with a uh it is, like, it is, like, introducing, like, uh, a, a sort of problem in the community, in a way, where what happened... Okay, I'm, like, explaining this very poorly. Okay, so, have, have we talked about Shadowlands at all? Like, what's what's coming up with Shadowlands? Do you know what a Covenant is?
0: Uh, a, I think so. It's, like, you, you choose one of the four of them, and it gives you, like, buffs or something, or, like, moves?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, like, the central choice of the expansion, essentially. Where, like, last expansion, it was classes, right, in Legion, and then this expansion, it was kind of like Hoarder Alliance, in a way. Um, the The next expansion, it is Covenants. You are gonna learn about the different sort of, like, factions of the afterlife in the Shadowlands, and then you are going to, like, bind your soul to one of the four Covenants, and depending on which one you get, it, it has, like, a different effect. Like, so, for instance, as a warrior, if I bind my soul to the Kyrian, who are kind of like angels a little bit, um, like noble souls like Uther the Lightbringer go go to Bastion and are part of the Kyrian. Uh you get this like spear that you throw and it does like a bunch of like damage or whatever. But if I join uh the Necrolords of Maldraxis, which is where like um like the hardcore fighters go, like if you're just uh if you're just a fighter, if you're just Gonna smack if, if you're a survivor, right? You go to Maldraxis. They have an ability where, as a warrior, you like mount a war banner on yourself, kind of like Grom would in Warcraft Three, and that like gives you a bunch of buffs and stuff like that. um So you have this sort of choice, right? Where it's like depending on which of the factions you take or which of these covenants you you take, you get uh, you get a class ability. Um, but you will also get these things called soul binds, which is like your ability to you what a soul bind is is you like find another soul in that faction and you go hey you and me we're gonna be buddies and as you bind yourself this is the sort of the new Az- like azurite or the new um artifact tree you start filling in points and you get abilities and stuff like that by like going up the tree or whatever and then you also have what are called the conduits which are like items that you can put into your soul binds and stuff like that so you get a bunch of player power out of these covenants and the player base is more or less really angry about it. I would say it is, this is just like whiners, essentially. Um, but like the current contention is that it's bullshit that we have to choose our covenant. For DPS purposes, right? The fear is, oh, well, the Kyrian Covenant is going to be fucking garbage, but the the Necrolords is going to be amazing, so I have to go Necrolords, or else I'm going to be a a garbage warrior, or whatever. Um, And... And so that has been, like, taking over the community. A bunch of, like, WoW streamers complained about it on a podcast, and it became, like, this huge thing where everybody was just like, oh, this is, you know, this is bullshit. I'm fighting with people on Reddit all the time about it. But the interesting thing that I noticed when it came to Nizath is that we never wiped for performance reasons. We never wiped because somebody couldn't pull the DPS that they needed to. Or because, like, we, you know... We did it and we hit the berserk timer or whatever else, right? The reasons we wiped were always mechanical ones, right? Like we didn't do the right pathing for the the way the Nazoth fights works is um, sometimes half the raid goes into Nazoth's head and you have to kill synapses inside of his brain in order to and like kite around a kite around a mob. And when you kill six synapses, you, like, can get through the mob's armor, essentially, um, and kill and kill the mob. And if you don't kill the mob, you wipe sort of thing. Almost all of our wipes were about learning to do those psychus phases in Nazoth's brain correctly. Where you're, like, killing the right synapses, you're killing them in the right order, you're doing it, you know, like, quickly and efficiently so the other team doing the other mechanics don't get overwhelmed. Um, and so... And then somebody said in regards to, like, this whole argument where it was like, listen, if you want to clear content, you will be able to clear content. There has never been a time in all of Battle for Azeroth where, like, some spec or some class is so bad that they couldn't clear the content they wanted to if they put, like, the work and the time into it. And getting an extra .03% on your DPS or whatever by choosing one covenant or another is, like... Not going to make or break your mythic runs, essentially. So, so I, I don't even remember the whole point of that, but no, no <laughs> I told I, you that whole story. I, there I, you go. <laughs> I, I
0: get that. I, I feel like that's like we, we've talked about this before. Um, I think the bigger worry there is that like if you don't have a guild to run with, if like somebody you try to pug with is going to look at you and be like, "Why are you the wrong co- wrong covenant kick?" Right? Like, mm-hmm. which you know. Is a player-based problem, but is a thing that maybe the dev should be taking into account. I don't know how you, I don't know how you deal with that um, on like a, on like a you know a, a better level. But that, that's the thing that pops into my mind is that like even if even if it's not a real problem, the perception that it's a real problem is a problem. If that makes sense?
1: Yeah. The funny thing is that uh, for like these sort of performance players who are driving this dilemma, uh, for the performance players, they are. The, the thing that they want is they want to decouple covenants from player power, right? So, they want to be able to choose whatever covenant they want while also being able to choose whatever sort of flavor that they want. So, like, there are a bunch of rewards inside the covenant, like a mount. There is an armor set. Um, there are, like, extra mechanics and stuff that you can engage with that, like, are sort of just flavor things, just cosmetic things in a certain sense. And there's and they and they're like, well let me just take war banner, but be a Kyrian if I want to, and even if like the war banner, you know, you know what I mean, is like the Necrolord's ability, well who cares? You kinda give me that access. And it kinda like this is something we've talked about before, but there's this sort of like question of where do you draw the lines for players in a right. way? Um, like, what are you willing to let players kind of choose for themselves? Or what are you willing to sort of say, like, no, you can't. Um, these things are locked off from one another. And I find it funny because it imparts that these that these folks do find value in sort of the RP of it, right? Where they would like right. to choose a covenant based on flavor and story reasons. But they feel they are unable to do so because they are trying to, like, prioritize performance. Um, and I kind of am on this opposite end of the perspective of the spectrum where like i'm very interested in the covenants for rp reasons and i'm probably not going to consider gameplay implications of them really at all i want to put baron where baron belongs um not where you know like not because where the ability is coolest um and so, yeah, I don't know. That's just interesting. I just find the whole thing interesting,
0: I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 a classic kind of, like, it, it's like a water finds a crack type thing, although on a much smaller scale, right? Like, in, yeah. in a scale that shouldn't matter, but, like, it seems to matter, right? Like, water finds, like, a painting of a crack, I guess, or something like that, or a very small crack. Um
1: yeah. Yeah, I think this is a real problem in the WoW community only because of the way that, like, simulations and stuff works. You can see how much damage you are, quote-unquote, supposed to be doing um, by, like, using SimCraft to get an accurate representation of, like, your DPS and stuff like that. And so, when people are using that as sort of, like, a benchmark for their performance, it's, its I don't know, it is uh, directing their behavior in a way that is, I guess, just interesting
0: I don't know. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah, on on the other side of things, the big thing I did this week was uh, run our uh, our weekly Star Wars game, or at least our, our, our frequent Star Wars game, um, which you played in. Uh, how did you like playing Omega?
1: Uh, I loved playing Omega. Did Could you tell? Yeah. I, I very much enjoyed... This system, I... Didn't, I always knew that this was the case, but this system is really built for me, <laughs> yeah, no. in the sense of like making plans and being able to use like the narrative power of like triumphs and um, and light side points.
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 an excellent excellent system. Um, for my part, um, I thought it was I, I th- thought it was a fun system to GM. I thought that like like part of this is on me for like not doing enough prep work. Um, I thought I did, but I clearly didn't um, in some cases. Um, just kind of like the the trouble of like I I recognize kind of in post that like I said things that closed off possibilities that I shouldn't have said, but I kind of didn't want to like roll them back. Um, like as I said, oh really? Like what? Not, I'm interested in that. Uh, so like like the one the one thing that like uh, I, I, the the biggest one I think is that like having like at the very end there where I said like you have to stick on the planet like they're not going to let you off the planet was probably a mistake. I probably should have not had that, and let you guys figure out a way to get off the planet a little bit easier than, than trying to, to blockade, run, or, or wait it out. Um, and that was just kind of, like, a thing that I I said because it made sense to me in the moment as, I, I forget exactly what thing I was trying to, like, what possible I was trying to lock off because of that, but, like, I, I just think it was a bad idea. Um, mm-hmm. And there, there were a couple of times that happened, and they're not popping to mind immediately, but, like, um, just kind of, like, let it, like, making like not thinking through all because I was thinking on my feet like not thinking through all the ramifications um of the things I was saying but I think like it let me like like I think I was able to roll with it um I think part of this too which is like I was not familiar enough with the GM side of the of the dice rolling controls um which have some like weird problems when you have sheets named the same thing um also uh I found the uh enemies and allies book to be a lot less helpful. Like, like I, I, thought, I thought, I thought, I found the pre general resources to be, like, I expected, like, a little bit more stuff where I, I found myself more just kind of adapting things that I, like, I picked out rather than, uh, uh, rather than, like, I thought there'd be kind of more stuff for me to pick from there, right? Like, um, I thought there'd be like an elite commando thing for me to pull from there. Didn't find one that mm-hmm. like really satisfied me. So, um, all those elite commandos were like some form of bounty hunter. It might've been like, I might've made a couple of them like, uh, like, yeah and trackers or something without the rebreathers on them. Um, but I also just find like combat to be hard to make super compelling at least at least from what I, what I did. How, how do you feel about that? No, I definitely get
1: that and it's funny because playing as a character kind of made me realize that I f- that as like on, on on the GM level, how much the game is built for combat, um, like most of the stuff I took when I was building Omega, which was obviously last week's cast was combat stuff. It was, you know, like how, you know, like how is this character Omega going to be interacting with enemies in, in, in combat scenarios. Um, and that is very cool. And it's like, and it's like, and it's like fun in a way. Um, but the game itself kind of like deprioritizes combat by making it kind of so weird and obtuse in certain sort of certain sorts of ways. Um, yeah, you know, we only had one combat. That one combat with Omega, which I I was happy I used get the drop on get the drop. No, I guess we had two because they were a little. It was a little prolonged. It was kind of like point like. Uh, yeah, it was like the start the, of the, the fight
0: and the end of it. Yeah, because you guys get yeah, down yeah, the yeah. middle of it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but uh, the. <sighs> It was one of those things where I was like, should I use my big cooldown, right? Like, my big once-a-session ability here? And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. Just use it while you have it, right? It's not going to get you any value if you don't – like, if there's no combat in the in the rest of the session. And there really wasn't a ton of combat in the rest of the session. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, uh, and p- part of that is, like, the open-endedness of the system, right? Like, if you guys had, like – gone more direct about some things there would have been more combat but like you know I, I wonder if this is kind of like a, a video game side effect where like you know the quote unquote correct way to do things is to avoid combat encounters combat encounters kind of like the quote unquote standard way to do things uh-huh. if that makes sense um, but like you guys didn't push for a lot of combat um, even though yeah.
1: see part of it I think is that there's this desire to not do combat until the last
0: yeah. opportunity
1: Right. Um, I actually felt weird about this because when I shot the guy, um, When we were, like, in that elaborate lie, I I was like, I feel like I'm fucking up. Then I thought about it, and I was like, not really. You know what I mean? Like, we are a party who is good at combat, and if we can, right, like, take care of these two guys really quickly, maybe we'll, like, kind of get out of it. But it felt like a failure, and I just kind of had that small moment of introspection where I was like, huh, why did that feel like I failed um, by, by, like, entering combat in that way? So there's this sort of, like, you know, there's this... um, Desire to not have combat happen—that is sort of antithetical to the desire to also like use all your cool shit, which is like a weird dissonance because you know you're building you're building your character with combat in mind, or maybe not. I mean, obviously like D4 and uh and V did not you know build their characters with combat in mind, so maybe it's just like a, an artifact of you and me playing combat-focused characters.
0: Yeah, uh, I I definitely agree with that. I uh, like. I guess, like, as time goes on, like, if, if I do run another one of these, like, it just, like, maybe I need to turn the the difficulty up a little bit. Also, I think that, like, doing a three-party combat was probably a mistake. Um, just because, like, it... Um, first of all, any time, like, every, every time I was rolling the dice against myself, I felt like I was just, like, wasting everybody's time. Um, mm-hmm. Which which was, is a thing to avoid, I think. Um, I also just think it's, like, a, a hard thing to to balance, right? Like, because if you, if you give enough enough pl- soldiers to the third party then just like yeah i either needed to buff the strength of the invading force or uh or like not maybe send in that second police squad or something um, yeah i mean i also think that maybe as a
1: gm you find you have like a different experience with it than players do i was a little bit surprised but we were talking about combat in the session itself and i was a little bit surprised to learn from the players that the combat i can that they had with drenda jun who was um the like the villain of the session before was one that they found to be like very tense and very dire, um, because she was putting out high amounts of damage and she was like hard to do damage to. And on my from my perspective as a GM, I was kind of like, boy, there's like no. I, it just felt like I just felt like there wasn't a lot of threat and there wasn't a lot of tension there. Um, but that was kind of clearly the, the opposite of the case for the players, so. Uh, It might just be one of those things where, like, when you can see the stats, and this this is my hypothesis, when you can see the stats on both sides, you see the expected outcome much better than players do, because a player doesn't know how much HP the enemy has, doesn't know, you know, like, how hard the enemy is gonna, you know, like, is gonna roll or something, is gonna, like, hit them, um... It is, it is easier for the player to sort of, like, imagine a bigger threat, maybe, um, than, than like, there is on paper, if that makes sense.
0: I, I buy that. I also think that, like, part of it, too, is that, like, I think there's just, like, something wonky about melee combat. Because, like, Wallrubber just seems to, like, like he's built for melee combat. And it just doesn't seem to be that effective, which is kind of sad. Because, like, he's like, got the character down great, but, like, it's like, ah, I do six damage for this, like you know, like uh, Omega or Jad or Argus, it's just kind of like, pew, there's 12 damage to the face, right? Like, Yeah, um,
1: I almost wonder, uh, part of my thought was that maybe this is like an artifact of lightsabers and stuff. Yeah, I, um, I don't know how lightsabers work, but one of the things I remember from the older versions of Star Wars I played is that lightsabers were really the only good melee weapon. Um, because, like, in the way that, like lightsaber damage scaled in the same way that getting better and better blasters would scale your damage uh, whereas other melee weapons wouldn't uh yeah I, I agree with you a little bit um I don't know what the secret is for my boy wall yeah. river
0: so so like what is it's like brawn plus the bonus I think the bonus might just be a little bit too low right because like my rifle does nine base right like uh-huh. um and it's nine plus successes and then uh the melee weapons are like brawn plus bonus plus successes um and like i think that puts like wall River at like a six or a seven before successes um, which is
1: like a regular blaster pistol
0: yeah um you know maybe he just needs to find something better or maybe like it's supposed to be that like the trade-off of causing difficulty for anybody you engage with is supposed to make it up but um maybe like i feel like enemies just feel a little bit too fragile for that to be like super valuable if that makes sense um. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think another piece of this is that walrubber himself is... Yeah, like, so I'm looking at this. Wow. Yeah, so a lightsaber has, by default, 10 damage. Um, but, like, all of these other things, um, like the force pike, uh, the gaff stick, it's, like, plus 3, plus 2, plus 3. Uh, I just feel like that stuff is, is not, I don't know, is, like, not great. Especially when I'm looking at, like, a blaster rifle that's hitting for 10 you know what yeah. I mean? It's not even like the crits are better, because, like, the crits are harder in a lot of situations. Like, critting with a combat knife is, is the same as critting with a blaster, but the combat knife only gives you plus one. So, I don't know. I do sort of wonder about that. I wonder if there are, like, some more rules or, you know, something else that, that you could pick up or, or get if if you are a wall-rubber um, to increase yeah, your yeah. lethality as a melee combatant
0: yeah because like because your your you're, you're, uh your you know your brawn would just cap out at six right so six plus like three is nine which is like an easy to get blaster rifle that just, that just seems like it seems like not not a great uh design i don't know um yeah yeah
1: yeah a regular standard blaster rifle
0: deals nine damage yeah um, at long range you yeah. know yeah um yeah, believe me, I know. That's that's what I do. Um And there's like a bunch of ways to add damage onto that too, which I assume that that the brawlers get, but like there's like I don't know, at least we haven't we haven't seen a ton of it. I don't know. It it, it seems it seems wonky. Um weakness of the system, I guess. Uh yeah. Um otherwise what have I done? I uh, I played so I've been just kind of like playing like uh, little stuff like I played some Warzone, I played some Enter the Gungeon. Um, haven't been doing a ton of uh, a ton of heavy gaming lately for a uh, myriad reasons, but uh, you know it's been a uh, uh, it's uh it's a uh, you know it's been a week. Uh, something to mention is today actually, right before we recorded this, I listened to um, Econ Talk, is a podcast, um, and uh, the host, Russ Roberts, had a, a guy who's doing like uh games, but with the blockchain as, like, a way to do, like, kind of, like, secondary markets of digital goods, right? Like, this is kind of, like, how, uh, like, uh, on Valve games, you can, like, sell, like, knife skins or whatever. Um And he was talking about, like, adding that into games. Um... And uh, I think the guy has some, like, fundamental, like, holes in his plan, which is that, like, you know, the whole pay-to-win thing that we've talked about. But I do think kind of, like, the, the theoretical stuff is interesting. It's also very entertaining to listen to somebody explain to an old uh, economist how video games work um, because, like, the, the, the host clearly is just, like, kind of, like, passingly familiar with It's like, so what is this, you know, like, t- tell me about League of Legends. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I just found it super entertaining uh so you know i would i would recommend that to ev- to everybody out there uh if you're if you're a little bit interested also maybe like a herald of bad things to come because the guy's talking about like like maybe this ghostly talks about how like he hired somebody to like max out his destiny account and how he wants to like make those secondary markets a core part of game. like ah that's not gonna work out in the way that you think it is um but you know maybe it works out for cosmetics right like it does in like the valve games but Wait, really I feel like that does
1: work out well for, for okay pa- when I when when you say that I immediately think of uh like potions like level boosts which so I like that that system seems pretty good to me um, I agree with you on a pay to win like maxing out your you know like pay, pay, paying someone to get you end game raid gear or something like paying for a carry in in endgame raids is bad and um, and everything like that but so, uh. so the
0: idea, so the, the the fundamental idea here is is kind of like digital property rights, right? Like you know, you can go earn your Ashbringer and then go sell that Ashbringer to another person, right? It's like a, a secondary market, um, uh, which is a, which is like, oh, and with like real money, right? Like backed by real money, which is the thing that that he's talking about, which is like. Uh, which kind of gets into that pay to win territory, and like maybe yeah. maybe just for like the sake of the of of this podcast with with a, a guy who doesn't completely understand video games, he kind of glossed over that. But uh, that was the thing that st- struck out that stuck out to me as kind of like the the biggest flaw in that kind of plan um, is is like if you're talking about like selling functional stuff in game, you're kind of missing the point of some of these games. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, but it's still interesting. So. Uh, there's okay, that. very cool. Yeah, that's uh, Econ Talk. Something
1: I do right. want to bring up, by the way, is I brought up the book Dangerous Covenants, which is the gun for hire, which is the class that Wall River is. And in here, I think that they pretty clearly get it, because they have a bunch of melee weapons that are, like, way better. Okay. Uh, the Vibro Greatsword, um, which does plus three damage and has a crit of two, um, but also a bunch of extra stats like defensive, pierce two, vicious two, right, um, I think is a much more, uh, you know... Uh, a much better weapon. I mean, part of it is also that you guys get the Reich Blades in the very first session, and the Reich Blades are also in here. Um, And they are, you know, like, they're, they're pretty good, you know, plus two damage with a crit of two. Having a crit of two is pretty huge because being right. able to crit on two advantages is, I, I just find, way easier than three. Um, but they also have a couple of other abilities. or They also have a couple of other things in here. For instance, blast knuckles, which are a very cheap option to get you plus four damage on your melee attacks. Um, so I, I feel like it is maybe something that really came out in this, um, because the base book didn't quite have what you needed.
0: That makes sense. I could buy that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I I think part of that, too, though, is that, like, crits don't feel super impactful most of the time, Um, especially, like, because they're, like – like, just because enemies go down so fast, right? Like, you crit someone, and it's like, oh, good boy, they take a strain every round, and then they're dead. Um, So, like – Yeah,
1: this was honestly a little bit of my own – I had that exact same – I had that exact same experience where – I expected it to be a thing against a nemesis where you had to keep critting them over and over again until they finally, like, died. But then somebody showed me the thing where it's, like, when you exceed their wound threshold, they just pass out. And I was like, wait, what? That sucks. Yeah. Or they die or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, why, why do you have this cool crit system if, you know, it doesn't – Because and this is the weird part because, you know, this is a Fantasy Flight game. Fantasy Flight games already did this system in Warhammer, where that it was that exact same thing. You took damage on your wound until you were at zero. And then at zero, you started getting critted, right? And you would slowly kind of, like, work your way up the table. So at, you could fight at zero, but you would start breaking your arm. Or you would start, you know, whatever, like, whatever else. And you had to crit people three or four times in order to get them up to, okay, they did. dead. You know what I mean? Um, and I really miss that. I feel like that would be, like, that would be perfect. I also feel like, honestly like the crit table is like a little cowardly. Yeah. Um, it feels like the crits are not very impactful and I would like to see crits that would be doing, you know, just more, just more at all.
0: Yeah, it's it, yeah, they're they're a little like I guess cuz you have to roll the d100 on it. Although I guess there are talents to kind of like boost up your like base crit. Like I've already got like 20 plus 20, but like, you know, it's still kind of like not great. Um, but yeah, I def I definitely uh agree with you there. Uh Yeah. Yeah, well, always more to learn moving forward. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we close this out?
1: Uh, no, no.
0: All right. So, uh, if you want to tell us what you thought about Hamilton or Seventeen Seventy Six or any other things we talked about on the show, you can reach us at podcastswithsubdoursplaygames games.com or subdoursplaygames uh, at gmail You can follow us on uh, Twitch, on Twitter, on everywhere that podcasts are found. Rate and review us on like iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, and that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you're looking to promote? I have one small thing that I'm looking to promote. I will be streaming Buddy Gets Good,
1: episode three, uh, this Friday. Uh, we'll be going back to Gone Viral. If you missed out on episode one, it got uploaded to the YouTube page, youtube.com slash Um, It is honestly pretty funny. So the the vi- so I'm, I'm notoriously bad at Gone Viral, but our video editor is the best – player we know of gone viral this guy basically beats DeChamp on every single run that he goes on um so it was pretty funny to get him to to edit the vod uh and he and he added a couple uh you know he he added like a little spike ball counter for the amount of times i took hits from a spike ball um he uh uh anyway he uh he he he, re- he edited the vod and it's very funny and i would highly recommend folks give it a watch
0: Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, I, I actually have yet to go watch that. So I'll definitely go watch that. But um, if that's everything, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.